Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Well, good morning. A call to submit in social structures is what we're going to look about today. I want to ask you a question. How do you handle or deal with the following? And some of this may get a little bit close to home. How do you handle or deal with a boss that is mean, angry, or clueless? Did I just, did I just describe your boss? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you handle or deal with if you're a secretary whose boss ask you to shed documents that would prove a lawsuit against him. Or a car salesman whose boss tells him to pressure customers to buy more car than they know that they can really afford. Or an accountant who, whose boss pressures him to manipulate the balance sheet in anticipation of selling the company for more than what it's really worth. Or a realtor whose company policy is to conceal necessary repairs of reporting that to the home buyer, or a boss who pressures his employers to engage in affairs or sexual harassment or to cover it up. How do we as Christians respond to those in authority over us in social and economic structures? You know, we all have bosses. We all have someone that we report to. Our bosses have bosses. These can be very tricky situations, and at times, especially if we work for employers that are corrupt or evil or just outright plain mean or incompetent. In last week's passage, Peter addresses the command of God for his children to willingly submit to the governor authorities so that we may proclaim the excellencies of God who has called us out of, his, out of darkness into his marvelous light. As his children, as children of God, we recognize that governing authorities are agents of God and that he uses them to accomplish his divine purposes. We must understand that God expects this of us, whether they are good or evil, though we are never compelled to approve or follow them in their evil deeds. Our obedience actually serves to be a witness of Christ's work in our lives. In today's passage, Peter calls the elect exiles to submit to those in leadership in their social and economic structures of the day. With that, let's go to the scripture. It's there on the monitor. Second, first Peter, excuse me, chapter 2, 18 through 25. Let's read. It says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, if you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, then this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who justly or judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. 
It's by his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, we commend our, commend our souls to you, knowing that you are trustworthy and just. And Father, we pray that you'd open up our minds and hearts. Let us not quench the spirit, but with gladness receive your word. Let us tell the difference between my mere opinion and your word's commands. And Lord, would you point us to who you are as you reveal yourself through your word. We praise in the name of Christ. Amen. In this passage, believers are called to humbleness in submitting, faithfulness to God in serving, witnessing to unbelievers, and enduring suffering to the glory of God. Now, Peter is addressing servants, mainly household and domestic servants, in our passage today. This can be a difficult passage with the terms servants and masters being addressed, mainly because it seems like it's condoning slavery. In the United States, it's hard not to see slavery through our terrible history. However, you and I must be careful in applying our cultural views onto those ancient cultures. In the Greco-Roman world, Thomas Schreiner explains that people became slaves by being captured in wars, by being kidnapped, or born into the household of a slave. Those facing economic hardships might also choose to sell themselves into slavery in order to survive. It was a normal and accepted practice. Let me share with you several facts about slaves in those days. As you might uh, be aware of, slaves served as miners and heavy labor. They served as gardeners and general manual labor, household duties, and difficult and dangerous labor. They can be used on the high seas, and they can use, be used in the mountain areas, as well in all sorts of other places. But also they served as merchants, doctors, teachers, musicians, and managers. It was not uncommon for the slaves, the servants, to be more educated than their masters. However, they had no independent existence outside of their masters, and typically they had no legal rights. It was not race-based. And they could own slaves themselves. At times, they could even purchase their own freedom, though that was very difficult to do. So Peter here addresses those elect exiles who were serving as domestic servants in Asia Minor to uh, submit to their masters. Not only to submit, but he calls them to submit respectfully. Last week, we learned that this, that this word submit meant to be willingly be subordinated under another under authority. Now we understand that the high majority of these servants were probably not servants willingly, but of circumstances. They, most of them, probably did not choose to become slaves, but were signed due to things beyond their control. When Peter is telling, what Peter is telling them to do here is to willingly submit to a life that they would not have chosen for themselves or their family. So as we go into the subject, you got to remember, this is not something that they would naturally want to do. Rebellion would be the, the, certainly the attitude that would be natural. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in this passage, Paul commands believers to be content recognizing that it's God that is in control in their lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at verse 17. 
Peter writes this, or Paul, excuse me, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Speaking of when he was called or regenerated, when he was called to salvation. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised him? Let him not seek to remove those marks. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek it. For neither circumcision counts nor other circumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Verse 20 is where we want to be. For each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Where you were a bondservant when called, do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Now look at verse 24. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let them, or let them remain with God. Let them remain with God. Paul would go on to tell the church of Philippi to do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among, Paul says, we are to shine as lights in this world, holding fast to the word of God. When Peter is writing to these people to, to submit willfully and respectfully to a life that they would not have chosen, we should understand that grumbling and complaining about our lot in life, what we're assigned, what we're doing, is an actually a complaint against God. And I'm sure we typically don't think that way. We, we, we typically think, well, this is not something I deserve, but this is the life that God assigned. Not that we're to stay there and get ourselves out of it. Paul says, if you have a way to make yourself free, then, then do so. However, this does not mean that we are absolved from the consequences of our own foolish and sinful choices. Some of these servants that Peter is addressing here may have become servants due to their own bad financial choices and had to sell themselves into slavery in those days when you were in debt. There was no bank. There was no credit that you would go to. You many times would have to sell yourself into slavery to, to, to pay your debt or to say, hey, I can't provide. The only way I can provide for my family is to sell my whole family into slavery. Simply put, the precept... The command that Peter is writing here is for these men and willing, these men and women to willingly submit to their masters, those that are in authority, with respect. Peter informs them that this command has no qualifier. They are to submit respectfully whether their master was good and gentle or unjust. This would probably not have been received with warm acceptance from his audience as it would not be accepted by you and I. We ourselves are going to have a hard time accepting these commands. You see, everyone loves the good boss. We all love the one who lets us have all our days off when we want them. The boss that is always appreciative and approving of our actions. The one that is quick to affirm us. We don't always like the boss that keeps us on our toes or denies our request for time off or reprimands us when we are late or leave early. We don't like that boss who is always on top of us. Peter tells them to obey respectfully, no matter their demeanor or management style. Unjust here is not referring to just their attitude, but it's actually referring to corrupt and even evil morals. It's not a command to do or approve of the evil. In other words, he's not calling us to approve or engage when a boss tells us to be evil as well. We read this during our scripture reading earlier. 
I'd like to look at it a little closer. Jesus is teaching his disciples and a large group of people about the kingdom of God. He says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to, good to those who do good, what benefit is to you? Even the sinners do the same. If you lend from those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend the sinners so they can get the same amount back. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind and ungrateful, or for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In other words, obeying and respecting those who treat you well is easy and natural, whereas it's normal for us to rebel against those who mistreat us. Peter instructs to those elect exiles is grounded in the teaching that he received from Jesus himself. Jesus' teaching in Luke is on further display as we go to verses 19 and 20 of our passage, where Peter gives the principle of why we're to submit willingly and respectfully. He says in verse 19, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, if you endure? But if when you do good and suffer, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. There's several things I want to share from this passage. They're going to be here on the monitor. First is, believers may suffer for obeying the commands of God. When he says mindful of God, he's saying there are going to be times when believers may suffer for obeying the commands of God. We don't like to hear that. We think, listen, if I obey God, then he ought to just pave the road for riches for me. But that's not true. This passage of scripture is not talking about putting up with a bad boss or an incompetent employer. Peter is writing about how one responds to a master, a boss that is unjust, that is wicked, that is corrupt. He's lacking in morals. It does not have in view the suffering we incur due to the consequences of our own sinful actions of, uh, uh, itself or the incompetence of our masters. Like the previous instructions concerning submitting to government, we are to refrain from approving and engaging in evil. When we obey God's command by refusing to take part in evil, you and I must recognize that suffering may result. Too many times that Christians, we think that if we obey God, then it's health, wealth, and prosperity. But that's not what God has called us to. To obey the very commands of God will cause us to suffer. The second point I want to share is believers are to endure, not avoid or rebel against suffering. This passage about, is about long-suffering, not complaining. It's not about avoiding gossip or vengeance on your boss or your masters. It's about surrendering your liberty to come to your defense. As Paul wrote, be patient in tribulation. Live in harmony with one. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. This is what God has called us to do. It is taken seriously the encouragement to be, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Instead, Paul refers to the words of Jesus, who says, to the contrary, if, you're, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You and I need to recognize this, that many times as we're living within the social and economic structures of this world, 
It could be our boss, an employer. It could be a teacher. It can be a superintendent. It could be whatever it may be. It may be in some other type of a group, a coach or some type of thing like that. We need to realize that we are to endure suffering that comes when we obey God's commands. Not to avoid it or to rebel. Number three, or what, I'm sorry, as scripture goes on, we're to obey God rather than men. We must be willingly to pay the price for obedience to God in refusing to do evil. Thomas Schreiner writes that the injunction given to slaves here becomes a model by which the believers should respond to injustice. You see, the scripture is not so much about getting your way or getting your due or getting defense or getting vengeance. It's about how you respond to injustice. It's how you respond in the way that Christ responded to the injustice done by him. And we'll say more of that in a minute. So number three, believers will be rewarded for their endurance of suffering. Obeying God's commands will cause us to suffer. We're to endure that suffering, not avoid it, not rebel against it. But we also know that scripture tells us that we will be rewarded for that endurance. Peter says it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter, like Jesus, points out that there's a reward for obeying the commands of God. In Luke, Jesus promised your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. What a great reward. While Peter points out that this is a gracious thing in the sight of God, the two words reward and gracious are synonymous in this context. This is evidence why Peter asked, what credit is it? Same way Jesus said, what credit is it? Peter simply notes that suffering from wrong deserves no credit. While suffering for the right deserves reward. Though we may not be rewarded in this life for suffering, there is an eternal inheritance that awaits the children of God. I do not want to say that if you're here today and you're suffering under a boss that is evil or corrupt or struggling in some type of thing like that, that at the end of the rainbow, at the end of your pension, is a Cadillac. That's not what God is saying. The reward may not be here in this earth, but the reward is that you will become the sons of the Most High God. And you will receive a master who is loving and kind and will reward you for that. And so when you're going to work and you're saying anything, oh no, I got to deal with this joker again. You got to remember that this is God's man put in place for you. Dustin, I want you to be quiet now. We have to realize that. This man stands as an agent of God. Incompetence and foolishness put aside. He calls us to submit respectfully. Now, here as we go on, Peter says this is what we need to do. We will see that, it, that the suffering of believers may be like Christ in that it will, lead some to unbelieve, it will lead some unbelievers to repentance and conversion. Your very act of submitting respectfully to unjust and cruel and, and incompetence is something that may lead others to repentance. Now this principle, the why of you and I are to do this command is to submit respectfully, is that God rewards those who endure suffering for his sake. Now this leads us now to the person. We saw the command, the precept, obey respectfully your masters. The principle is because we're to endure suffering because that may lead others to Christ. The person, 
that what this shows to is that we submit respectfully points to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 21. Peter writes, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Peter points out that Christ is the supreme example of one who suffered. When he writes, you have been called, he is referring to those that have saving faith. It is those who have responded to the gospel call to repentance and faith. It is to those that have been regenerated and transformed. It's to those that have been adopted as sons of God and are being sanctified in the image of Christ and are awaiting the glorification of both body and mind when we will be with God forever. He's speaking to you and I. When he writes, Christ also suffered for you, it entails the truth that Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Paul tells us that we are to have this mind of Jesus among ourselves. Jesus' obedience to the Father's plan is meant to be an example of humbleness. As Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That is going to mean those that are in authority over us. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, Scripture teaches that salvation comes through suffering. Not avoidance of suffering. Jesus' suffering, which began with humbleness and obedience, led others to salvation. So may our own humility and obedience to God. Dr. Thomas Schreiner notes again that the godly life of believers may win unbelievers to faith when they see that we're different, that we respond to things differently. They want to know, what is it? How can you do that? As Peter had said earlier, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter informs us that Christ's suffering served to leaving us an example. The Greek word translated in example means to model or imitate. It's a Greek word that's used to describe a child who traces over the letters of the alphabet to learn how to write correctly. I got a great opportunity to do this week. I had Landon in my office, and we have this little calendar that he can kind of interact with. And he says, and there's a place, and he says, well, how do I write my name? And so, you know, we wrote his name, and we saw it. And he goes, well, how do I write that? And I says, well, do this. And I put little dots, the L, the A, the N, the O, and the N, and so on and so forth. And I, and I trace the L. I said, you see, you do it that way. And so he tried to kind of do the A, but, you know, he can't hold the pen very, very well. So he did the A, and I said, well, let me help you. And what I did is, as he had his hand on the pen, I took my, my hand, and I put it on the pen and on his hand, and we did the rest, N. D, O, N. I said, see, it's easy, it's simple. You just follow along. That's what scripture is saying here. That's the term that Peter is using here. It's, it's a way in which you help others lead and go the way they need to go. And what he's saying here is, is Christ is there and he's, he's leading you. He's tracing the way, the path you should go so that you may do it correctly. So Christ's suffering is meant to be an example of how we ought to live our lives, even in an environment 
that is difficult. Peter is informing us that just as Jesus submitted respectfully to the superiors in his economic and social structures of his time, we should as well. Remember, Jesus willingly submitted to the high priest. He submitted to their judgment. He submitted to Pilate. He submitted to the Roman cross. He submitted to the beatings and the cursings of those who were well beneath him. God says you are to do the same. Again, that does not mean that we approve, affirm, or engage in evil, but that you and I respond differently than the world. Now, Peter goes on to share how Christ's suffering is different from ours. So there's a way in which our suffering is like Christ. We are to humbly submit to those that are in authority above us. We are to do that that they too may see Christ. But now he goes on to point some ways in which Christ's suffering is different from ours. But this difference is a good thing. Look at verses 22 and 23. Peter reminds us that Jesus committed no sin and neither was deceit found in his mouth. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continue trusting himself to the one who judges justly. Now you may recognize that Isaiah 53 is in full view here. Already the apostles, the Christians, and the local churches recognized that Jesus was the suffering servant that was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Peter boldly proclaims that Jesus was sinless. That Jesus was sinless in spite of the suffering that was put on him. And that Jesus did not plead or avoid his case in suffering. There was silence in his suffering. Jesus did not seek vengeance in his suffering. That Jesus trusted God. That his suffering was necessary and part of God's ultimate plan. And that Jesus' suffering led directly to our salvation. Please take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5 for with me if you would. God here is not asking his children to do anything he did not already ask of his only son. In the same way, he says, servants, submit to your masters with respect. He is calling us to do the same because that's what he asked of Jesus. Dr. Schreiner remarks that Jesus' lifestyle matched his own teaching, where love for enemies and a spirit of non-retaliation was central. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Look down to verse 38. This will be similar to what Randy read earlier. When Jesus is teaching on the mount, he says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him and, and give him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rains on the just and the unjust. Uh, Dustin spoke of this a little bit earlier in Sunday school. For if you love those who love you, what, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? Verse 47. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? 
Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus here, and this is important. Jesus trusted himself to the Father's plan as we see in Matthew chapter 26. When Jesus prayed on the night of his betrayal, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In the same way, you and I are to trust that God will richly reward those that obey him. Later in his letter, Peter will write, After you suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. This is his promise for those who will endure suffering, who will submit respectfully to those and they're, they're in, who's in authority over them. Peter goes on to remind us that what Christ's humble obedience accomplished in verses 24 and 25. In 1 Peter chapter 2, for he goes on to say that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You see, Jesus' obedience was an example. But much more than that, Jesus' obedience made us right with God. His atoning was distinct. It was unlike any other. In that in his suffering, it brought us forgiveness and the power to live righteously. Both the prophet and the apostles agree that Jesus' wounds brought us healing. Now, this healing is not necessarily a physical or a mental healing, but a spiritual healing. Our biggest need, and you need to point this, uh, understand this, our biggest healing need is not a physical, a mental, financial, social, or relationship healing. Our biggest problem is that you and I were dead. We need a resurrection. The prophet Isaiah also marked that all of humanity is like sheep gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Apostle Paul uses that indictment to declare to the church of Rome that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of that sin is death. The good news of the gospel is that by Christ's humble obedience and intoning to death, we were justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is found in Christ Jesus and that the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Believer, Jesus is our master. He is the shepherd and overseer of our soul. He has brought us back from our own disobedient and rebellious path. He has delivered us from darkness into his marvelous light. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Why? So that we may be able to respectfully submit to our masters, whether they are good and gentle or unjust. You see, this is God's plan that you and I may be a witness to the life-transforming power of the gospel. Salvation does not come through peer pressure. It does not come through winning the cultural wars. It does not come through political fiat or executive orders or legislation or by conquest by the sword. No, scripture tells us that salvation comes through serving, submitting, and suffering. Endure that others may come to know Christ and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let me ask, would you commit to proclaiming the excellencies of God in all areas of your life 
as he calls us to respect those in authority over us. Are you ready to accept God's assignment for your life? Now, I would like to take a moment to ask and answer an important question that many have asked over the years. And that's simply, why did Peter and the other New Testament writers not instruct Christians to fight slavery? Instead of saying, masters submit with respect, or servants respect, uh, submit to your masters with respect, why did he not say, rise up against your masters? Show them that if you're a Christian, that we're greater. I mean, we ask those questions many times. Well, many of the early Christians were slaves themselves. So many Christians were slaves. What Luke, what Luke excuse me, refers to the, the, the writer of Luke, Luke, or, yeah, yeah, Luke. What Luke refers to as the way, I don't know what happened there, but what Luke refers to as the way spread like wildfire among the poor and disenfranchised. Many slave owners led their servants to Christ and vice versa. However, the apostles never called upon neither the masters or the servants to end the practice of slavery. And this is tough for us, obviously, as we look at slavery through an American view. But you and I must understand that this was a worldwide enterprise. And any attempt to change society, culture, and economic realities at that time would have been futile. They would have been destroyed. Instead, they were more concerned, the Christians were more concerned with personal transformation, not societal transformation. You see, the believers, the apostles, the disciples, the Christians of those days, they understood that unless you change the heart of man, there would be not be any cultural change. It would fail. Something I believe that you and I need to understand today. Our Savior is not the government, it's not the legislation, it's not the Supreme Court. It's changing each heart as it submits to the will of God. Thomas Schreiner notes that the New Testament writers concentrated not on the practice of slavery, but on the godly response of the believer to mistreatment. See, they understood that that godly response would make a transformation in the lives and minds of those masters and those slaves. Nowhere does the New Testament commend slavery as a practice and social structure. Slavery, mark this down, slavery is a sign of a broken, sin-hardened world. Slaves are to submit to their masters due to their relationship and allegiance to God. Though not in view here, in this passage that we read, Scripture also had much to say to masters on how they were to treat their servants humanely and godly. Out of all the religions and the ways in which worships, Christianity and Judaism actually put in safeguards for those that were stuck in that type of system. So why did they not do it? Because they knew that it was changing the hearts, not trying to change culture. Now you might also ask, what if my boss, what if the boss that I'm working for, I am trying to work with them. Yeah, sometimes they're just mean. Sometimes they're, they're not very affirming. And, and so I struggle with that. But what if my boss pressures me to do something that's illegal, immoral, unethical? And I probably believe, probably, there's probably many of us that have been put in those type of situations, maybe once in a while or, or hopefully not yet. Again, I would free you to Scripture to not approve of, affirm, or engage in evil. 
Your refusal may lead to reprisal. So let's take the story of, the, of a, a secretary whose boss is asking her to shred documents that are necessary for a, a court appearance, knowing that they, they could lead to, a, to them losing a lawsuit. She is not obligated by Scripture and by her godly uh, obedience to Christ to engage in that or, not to, or to lie for him. You are not called to do that. If you're a car salesman, you're not called so you can make a sale to lie to someone or to get them to buy what you know that they cannot afford. But your refusal, you must understand this, is that your refusal to not approve of or affirm or to engage in evil may lead to reprisal by your, employee, by your employers and maybe even termination of employment. Yet despite these consequences, you and I are called to obey God. Just last week in the book of Daniel, we looked at the story of the three Hebrew children that, that would not submit to government. Daniel tells of the story again of a young man, Daniel, that defied the king's order, his boss, and was thrown in the lion's den for just praying. But he was miraculously protected by God's angels. God has not promised that we will be protected in that way. We will be rewarded. But he doesn't say that you may not lose your job. But this also does not mean that you and I are to be dumping grounds for an employer that is mean, vindictive, or outright evil. Fortunately, you and I live in a country, a nation, where God has prospered us. And typically generally, you and I are free to choose our places of employment to a large degree. You are under no compulsion to put yourself in a situation that is unhealthy or dangerous. However, God's command still stands. Servants, submit to your masters with respect. And that principle is so that we may lead them to the one who was the example, who suffered and humbled himself in order that all men May come to him. I'd like to close with this if it's on the monitor here. Psalms 43.1. David writes this. Maybe this could be your verse you can put on your, uh, on your computer at work or wherever you may be. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. I would encourage you to be like Jesus. Entrust your soul to the one who delivers. Would you do that this morning? And maybe this week, you may be the very reason that your boss, your employer, your coach, your teacher may turn and say, who is Christ? Every head bowed and every head closed. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. We're going to just take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray and respond to the Holy Spirit. Maybe I've, I've stepped on a few toes. Maybe I've pricked a few hearts. Maybe a few ears have been opened. And he said, boy, this is just what I needed. I, I'm struggling with a boss. I'm struggling with one who is, in, who, is, who, is un, who is corrupted. He's wicked. He wants me to do things I shouldn't do. Give me, give me strength to be able to, to witness to him. Help me to be able to stand firm in the faith. Or maybe it's just, how do I just get through when they're just very just mean and gossipy? They're not, they're not very friendly. They don't affirm. Maybe your prayer is, Lord, just help me to respect to them. Lord, give me that humbleness. Help me to surrender my rights. Help me to be a godly man or woman. However God may be calling, would you respond this morning? Father, give us your strength and wisdom to know how we are to, to live in such a world 
There are times that it's difficult, and even more as this society is changing to live and to work in, in social and economic structures that many times that is hostile to our faith. So give us wisdom and discernment how we may be witnesses, how we may be salt and light when we are working in environments that are very difficult for us. Help us to willingly submit with respect to those that you have placed in authority in order that they may come to know Christ themselves. Let us entrust our souls to you. Strengthen us for this endeavor, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.